Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. Today, we are going back in time. We played for you a good oldie interview I did from 2003 when I interviewed the first man on the moon, Mr. Neil Armstrong, and we got rave reviews about that. And today we're going back to 2002, where I interviewed a man who's become a a great friend of mine, Dr. Shad Helmstetter. Uh, Shad wrote the runaway bestseller, What to Say When You Talk to Yourself. Just a fabulous title for a book, isn't it? brilliant guy. He's got just some great insights. And this is a real oldie, but a real goodie. Most of the uh, podcasts you'll be hearing this year is some really brand new cutting edge content. But we are going back through our archives to find those interviews, those presentations that really cut to the quick that are timeless. And this is one of those. Shad Helmstetter was the first behavioral researcher to focus on the role of self-talk as the programming source that directs our success or failure. Brilliant guy. And he is an expert on the science of neuroplasticity and personal growth. And he has helped this particular Irishman with his self-talk. Because we don't take ourselves too seriously. We don't take anyone else too seriously. But that can get into self-deprecating, sarcasm, and so on and so forth. And the next thing you know, our brains are operating based on the information we're putting into ourselves. Shad Helmstetter has helped hundreds of thousands of women lose weight without an exercise program or changing their diet by just changing their self-talk. He's helped people learn languages, and he's helped people transform their businesses and their well-being. He's helped a lot of people get out of a state of depression. And with a lot of stuff going on, a lot of pressure in our world today, I thought we'd go back in time to an interview I did with Shad when I was... uh, Fairly early on in this business, I was uh, fresh-faced, I was uh, full of life, and I was taking a lot of notes. So I was interviewing Shad Helmstetter as a student, not so much as an interviewer. It was fantastic. I love this. I hope you'll enjoy it. Please take lots of good notes if you happen to not be uh, driving while listening to this. And let's go back in time to meet Dr. Shad Helmstetter. Obviously, I'm uh, pretty thrilled about today's call been talking about Dr. Shad Helmstetter and what to say when you talk to yourself for seven years. And uh, so many of you have got the book and have benefited from it. And you're really in for a treat today. And not only is Shad a master at what he does, he's also a gentleman and just a great source of encouragement and positive motivation. He's got some great insights to share with us today. And I'm very excited. I've got my pad and pen ready because I plan to take pages and pages of notes to learn myself today. At the top of the morning to you, Shad, welcome to our call. Oh, the rest of the day to you, Brian, and everyone else. (laughs) Great to have you here. Chad, I thought that we'd cover three major points today. Obviously, you could do two days' worth of these interviews today and tomorrow and the next day on all the content you've developed over the last 25 years or so. But I thought just to come up with some high points today that we could really get into some nuggets of information that would really help folks, the three major points I thought we'd cover would be the five levels of self-talk, The second one was conforming to other people's beliefs, which folks have a tendency to do, and then accomplishing goals. And I know you have some neat concepts and content on that. So if you're writing it down, it's the five levels of self-talk, conforming to other people's beliefs, 
and then accomplishing goals. And Chad, just to get the ball rolling, maybe you could give folks a little bit of an overview on self-talk itself, the impact it has on our lives and on our actions, and then maybe we could dig down into those five levels to begin with, if that's something you're comfortable with. You bet. Self-talk actually started in the Bible Mm -hmm. from comments, ideas, and philosophies such as, as a man thinketh, right. art, so is he, and so on. And I had read that as a kid, and I'd heard it in church many times, but I always questioned, how can it possibly be that what we think has anything to do with what happens, other than something that's on a very momentary basis? Mm-hmm. But a number of years ago, as computers started to get more and more popular, I and other researchers started looking at this and thinking, you know, there probably is a real relationship between the human brain and a computer, and the only difference is we don't really consciously program the human brain, but we do consciously program a computer. And the more I looked into that and the more I began to study the research, I realized that from the moment you're born, every single message you've ever gotten, everything that's ever been said to you, everything you've ever done, everything you've ever said, Everything you've thought, and now they even believe the things you think unconsciously, every one of those messages has been programmed into our onboard computer. And the curious, fascinating thing about this is that that part of the brain that records all of these messages we got, that part of the brain doesn't know the difference between something that's true or false or bad or good or right or wrong. So the the result is we're getting programmed, even at this moment, Mm -hmm. every day, and the part of the brain that stores that information, believes those programs are true whether they are or not. So what we type into our keyboards and into our five senses will have a total and complete effect on what happens in our lives. So whether it's humor, whether it's sarcasm, whether it's self-deprecating humor, you're saying that our computer takes it in the form of, okay, that's true, and I'm going to act upon that. Yes, Brian, it's very much as though one of the best pictures I've always used in my mind is When a child is born, imagine this precious little infant, this gift from God, has strapped to his little infant chest a little keyboard. And on top of the keyboard, it says, Mom, Dad, everything you type into my keyboard will be stored for life and acted on as though it's true. Hmm. I think if that were the case, I'll give you an example. A number of years ago, my sons were young, and I was studying and writing about self-talk. And I decided what would happen if for 30 days I could not talk to them, but I had to interact with them. And instead of being able to talk, each one of them had this little keyboard strapped to his chest. And so I would go up and I would type anything I wanted to into that keyboard. So if they had a problem or they were asking a question or whatever it was, I had to type the words into the keyboard instead of saying the words out loud. I came to the conclusion, Brian, that what we would type in if we actually physically had to do it would be almost entirely different Mm. than the things we say to them amazing because the message would never be you're stupid or clumsy or your room is always a mess or i can't count on you or you never tell the truth or any of those things we would reframe it in a way that would build them up instead of pull them down right what a profound concept and yet it's amazing what we do allow to come out of our mouth and obviously it's it's what's in our own subconscious that we're talking out of and but it it, it creates uh whether it be a tape or a cd-rom as i've heard you refer to it as and that becomes the record that's held and we all know the phrase garbage in garbage out but very rarely do we associate ourselves with the person who's putting the garbage in 
I've become convinced through the research over the years, Brian, that if any of us had been spirited out of our cribs when we were very young and taken to another home, and perhaps even in another country or in another culture, that because of the difference of the programs that we would get in that new home and from that new crib all the way on up, that you and I probably would not be talking to each other on the telephone today. Mm. In fact, we would probably and very likely live entirely different lives, which shows, again, that it's whatever we get programmed with, and then eventually our own self-talk is a, is a duplication. It's a, it's a repetition of the programs we got from others. Whatever those programs are, whatever they tell us about ourselves, whatever self-esteem they build, our values, our qualities, our skills, and our talents, all of those end up being programmed and the difference between one who succeeds in life and one who doesn't is that the person who succeeds somehow gets in control of his or her programs, mm. and the other person doesn't. Wow. A profound stuff there. Now, in regards to talking about these five levels of self-talk where we're going to go, how does our own self-talk interact with the program when we've taken on board? Do we compound it? Do we challenge it? How does the self-talk, what goes on inside our own mind? So you have, you have this little baby that's been spirited away. You have the programming that's been given to that child. Now that child grows up and becomes an adult. How does their self-talk work in relationship to the programming they've received? Well, most of our self-talk, somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 or 80 percent of all of our self-talk is a duplicate it's a repetition of the programming that we got. Mm -hmm. And that's where I could never do this or I won't amount to much or it's going to be a bad Monday or, or uh, I'm not smart enough or I'll never have two dimes to rub together at the end of the month or nobody in this family will ever be wealthy or whatever it happens to be. Those are reflections. You just hit playback. Mm -hmm. And the problem there is that we hit playback from the moment we awake in the morning until we go to sleep at night. Only we do it unconsciously. Mm -hmm. We're not really aware that... Most of the choices we make today will be made by the programs that are already on automatic playback. So that's why it's possible to go through an entire day without really thinking about making a choice. Even, In fact, you can drive to work without remembering you drove to work. We do things on autopilot, and most of the choices we make, those small ones that we don't even think about, those are actually the most important choices we'll ever make. We think sometimes that the choice is who we marry or where we're going to live or what our career should be and so on. But the real choices that either get us there or don't get us there are these minor moment-after-moment moment choices. What time do I get up? Do I watch the news or don't I watch the news? What do I have for breakfast? Do I get to work on time? What's my attitude when I get there? Am I organizing my life in a way that I'm in control or am I not? Those are choices we make every day, but we don't think about the choice. We don't have to because our autopilot is doing it for us. Unfortunately, the autopilot's usually wrong. Mm -hmm. And we can prove that by if we examine what those choices are, most of us would probably get up a little earlier, not everybody. Most of us would probably react to almost everything that goes on differently. Do you make the phone call or don't you make the phone call? Those are minor choices, but the answer to those choices is almost always determined by the program. And if the program says, I'll call him back tomorrow, or I'll talk to that prospect later. Those are choices that are being made by the old programs. And so the idea of self-talk is to first become consciously aware of it, of what our level one self-talk is, which is the negative 
automatic kind, I can't do this, I'm not good enough. Right. To become aware of that and then step by step by step begin to change it. Because we do know this. We do know that it's neurological. It's actual chemical. Think of highways and bridges in the brain. Mm -hmm. And those highways are built and the bridges are put in place and they're very strong. We've been building those bridges day after day, year after year. Every single time we get the same message or say the same thing or get the same thought, we're actually putting more pavement on that highway and we're mm -hmm. building and making it stronger. So if you think of it that way in the brain, it's easy to see that we're going to automatically follow the interstate highways that are there. Those are the biggest programs we've got. And if we want to change those highways and break them down, we're going to have to build some different roads, and that's what self-talk is. Yeah, it's amazing, Shad, that some of the most dogmatic people I've met as I've traveled around the country, the people who are absolutely dogmatic about their positions were often the people who were furthest off track. Yes. But they had come to almost that it didn't matter even if they were right or wrong. It was that the fact that they had to hold on to that belief. And it was the sheer thought of having to change a belief or a thought pattern was so unnerving to them, they just couldn't move at all. A number of years ago, I stopped arguing completely. Mm -hmm. To this day, I will not argue. Right. The reason I won't argue, I'll make a point if it's something I believe in, but that's it. Because I realized that it was just my CD-ROM. Imagine we've got this little chamber, and then you just push the button, and you can pop your CD-ROM out of it. And on that CD, that real shiny disc, when we were born, that was completely empty. Mm -hmm. And then it got filled up with all the input we got and all the programs. So I look at my CD-ROM and think, wait a minute, this is just my CD-ROM arguing with that guy's CD-ROM. Mm -hmm. The only difference, of course, is I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> I recognize that that's why we really don't change people's opinions yeah. by talking louder. People <laughs> change their opinions by changing their programs. Right. Well, that, that's great stuff. I, I would love to delve in here a little bit to the five levels of self-talk, and I think at each step along the way here, it's going to impact the people listening, and I think they'll be able to see themselves in it. So if we can, I'd like to go through the five levels with you and just get a little bit of commentary from you on each one and right. how it impacts our self-talks. So the first one you were talking about was negative acceptance. Yes, level one self-talk, negative acceptance, is usually identified by words such as, I can't, or I'm just not good enough, or that would never work for me. In other words, we've got a program. To us, it's real, and we even say it is. We even say, I can't do that. So negative acceptance is the strongest or most common kind of self-talk we have. Mm. If you listen to a group of people, oh, perhaps even in a sales meeting, Unless it's a very peppy, rah-rah, uh, positive, go-forth sales meeting, but mm -hmm. if it's an average kind, you'll hear people, when they're given assignments or asked if they can do something, we usually state the worst first and the best last. <laughs> and we do this throughout the entire day. So negative acceptance self-talk is, that's the kind that says, ah, that's me, that's the way it is. I'm always late. Yeah, I'm always late. I can never remember names. <laughs> Everything I eat goes right to my way. Yeah. It's going to be another Blue Monday. I mean, just on and on and on. And every one of those, it's fascinating. Every one of those, we're actually sitting down at an incredibly powerful computer keyboard input, and we're actually typing it into the brain mm. every time we say it. And it's becoming stronger and stronger and stronger. Yes. Anything organic that you feed gets stronger. And what we're actually doing, and I won't talk about the brain here, but other than just this momentary thing, 
in the brain, every time you repeat that same message, I can't do this or I can't do that or whatever it happens to be, you're actually sending nutrition to those specific program pathways in the brain, and they're getting stronger. And we can see that now. When I first wrote What to Say, a lot of this was based on well, a lot of research, but we still had to use some theory. But now we can actually, it's fascinating, Ryan. You can watch the process of someone being programmed. We can even see where the programs are being stored in the brain. Mm. It's like fertilizing weeds is what you're yes, talking about. Exactly. That's a great way to put it. We start off with level one. Level two gets into the need to change. How does that normally come about for somebody that they even become cognizant of the need to change? They start recognizing that something isn't working or that something is causing them a problem. And so they begin using a kind of self-talk at level two that sounds like this. I really need to spend more time with my teenage son. Mm. Or I ought to stop smoking. Or and I need to slow down. Whatever it is, yeah. those messages, we can actually listen for them. And we'll hear ourselves telling ourselves, okay, I'm becoming aware of the problem. I'm not solving it yet. That kind of self-talk doesn't really help you get anywhere, but at least it, it alerts you to the problem or to the opportunity that you want to create. Are they the I shoulds of life? Is that where the need to change comes in? Yeah. And the reason most level two self-talk ends up being negative self-talk mm. is because if you say, I should get to the office on time, and put three dots there and then finish the sentence, which the brain does for you. It says, I should get to work on time, but I usually don't. Mm -hmm. Or I should spend more time with my teenage kids, but I'm not. So a level two phrase of self-talk, even though it alerts us, it's a level of recognition that we've got a problem or there's something we want to change. If you finish the sentence, it always says, but I'm not, or I can't, or I won't. The justification? Yeah. Would you agree that people ultimately have to have a validation for their belief system so that they have to find a rationalization for any position, even if it's someone who's in poor health or someone who's financially up the creek or whatever situation, someone who's in the worst situation possible. They have to come up with a rationalization of why their position is correct. Yes, they do. And, and the way that actually works is our other programs that would agree with that they gang up and they say, yeah, that's right. See, this person can't do this or this person can't get to work or this person can't reach some sales quota because this person has this problem or, or doesn't have enough time or has family demands. So our other programs of a like nature get together and they all work together as this team. Unfortunately, they're the losing team. Mm -hmm. They're the wrong team. Right. The team that shouldn't win. Mm. Then it feeds into the next one, which is where things start to get exciting, which is the decision to change, which is the third level of self-talk. Yes, the first kind of effective self-talk is level three, and that's when you say, I no longer argue. I never smoke, or I never eat anything that's unhealthy for me. Now, when you first hear those, we kind of go back to the self-help books of the 60s and 70s and 80s where they said never use the word never <laughs> in the brain the brain really doesn't care if you use the word never it's just a term that says i'm making an announcement mm -hmm. i no longer do this so the brain doesn't see that as negative and completely disqualify it that was written by self-help authors who were who were really good people but most of them wrote that, that you should never use the word never because they read it in somebody else's self-help book mm -hmm. and if you follow back 
It goes way back to the late 40s and early 50s when somebody got the idea that you could never say the word never. But the brain really doesn't care. If you think of your computer, your computer doesn't really care what you type into it. You can type, obviously, you can type something into it that, that's not true, and it won't know the difference. It's just simply your word processor will accept anything you type into it. Mm-hmm. I also think it's a good idea to make a statement of change, which is the self-talk that says, I never, and then fill in the blanks, or I always, or I choose to. Obviously, it's going to create some dissonance. Let's say someone's struggling yeah. with their eating or their diet or health or whatever else. I always eat nutritious food. It's going to create a level of dissonance when the person is obviously eating a food that's not nutritious. And yeah. is that what ultimately will wage war between the actions and the thinking? Is that how the positive change starts to take place for the person? Well, it depends on if you're also working at the rest of your self-talk and using some of the next level that we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. then this single statement of I never or I no longer or I never have a problem with weight or my health, at first that kind of puts on the boxing gloves and your old program says, that's not true, that's right. not you at all, that's, right. that's ridiculous. But if you're doing other self-talk at the same time, you're building a new set of highways that you're, where you're not just working on this one objective, mm-hmm. that you're general overall self-talk in the next level builds a team of programs and together you override the one dissonant one. Awesome. So there is hope. We start to go through the process and you know there are folks who may be thinking boy I've gotten some bad programming. I might have even had not the greatest programmer okay growing up someone may come to that place they recognize there's a need to change I need to I should And then they get to the first, as you say, effective level of self-talk, which is the decision to change. And we start to affirm now, I always eat right. I never do that. I'm no longer late for anything. And so now the new set of highways are starting to come in. Now, the next level, level four, which you refer to as the better you, how does that build the highway and make it even stronger? Well, since all programming is based on repetition, Mm -hmm. it makes sense that if you repeated a new message and if the brain doesn't have the ability to stop those messages it's going to get programmed in if it can hear it it's going to get programmed in Mm. it makes sense that if you want to build a new road that repetition since that's where we got all of our programs in the first place that through repetition the new roads will be built whether you want them to or not Mm -hmm. a moment ago brian you said there's hope i'd like to take that up another notch and say there is certainty Mm. Because it's a neurological process in the brain, if you give yourself the new messages, the new roads will be built. If the new roads you build are stronger than the old roads you had, then we're going to automatically, usually without even having to think about it, follow the new roads. Now, once you're on that new highway, you begin to feed it. You're nurturing it. You're making it stronger and stronger. Or the other picture would be you're paving it again. Every mm-hmm. you use it. So that's every time you're getting the new message repeated. Now, what does an old highway look like when you stop using it? It's no longer being maintained. All of us here today can see this picture of a road that's kind of broken with weeds and growing it in the cracks and so on. That isn't how it would look in the brain, but it's a good way to put it because we are absolutely certain that anyone who gets the right new messages repeated often enough, repetition is the key, that person will build new highways. Hmm. The old highways maybe don't 
want to go away. They've lived with you for years, <laughs> made you who you are, so they're going to fight for a while. But that's okay. Just keep building the new road. Mm. And so level four is best characterized by the words I am. And this is that time when you put something in the present tense, even though it hasn't happened yet. Well, what you're doing is you're really just saying, I choose to be this way. I am in tune on top and going for it. I'm in touch. I'm on time. I enjoy talking with people. The telephone never bothers me. I'm really good at talking on the telephone. Mm. What I say has credibility. So what I'm doing is I'm painting this picture of myself the way I would most like to be in a certain situation. And if my brain hears that often enough, it's finally hearing the messages that perhaps somebody should have given me when I was very young, but they didn't because they just handed me their programs and said, here, this is good enough for me, this is good enough for you. But now I've decided I'm going to take control. I'm going to pull this keyboard, which unfortunately has been held out aiming at the rest of the world. I'm going to turn my computer keyboard around where I get to be responsible for typing the right words in, and then I'm going to type those words in, and they're going to be the messages and the pictures of the life that I want to live based on the me that I choose to create. And since we know that it's neurological and it's, it's chemical and electrical in the brain and we know that the brain has to do what we tell it to do most, then we know that we've got a really good chance of getting off the old highways by building the new ones. I cannot describe to the audience listening how much this piece has impacted me just this year. Years ago, Shad, I had a motorcycle accident and I, I had been a pretty good athlete and I went through some serious challenges with my body over a lot of injuries and operations and stuff. And so I had struggled for a lot of years with getting back into the kind of shape that I used to be in. And so I've done all kinds of different things and workouts and programs and diets and whatever else. But just this year, I started reading my affirmations every morning. I have a journal, and I, every morning I'd open up, and the first page I'd, I'd just read, I am 175 pounds and filled with energy. Now, what was interesting, over the next six weeks, I went from 191 pounds to exactly 175. Not 176, yeah. not 174, exactly 175 now, I can't say that it was the best period of time I've had for my workouts or the most fastidious I've been about eating. And when people keep asking me, how did you lose this weight? Well, you might not like the answer, but I just chose to. I had struggled with that for years and years, and I've seen the evidence of that myself just this year alone. What a remarkable process that is. And again, just continually affirming that each day and each morning, and whether there's Good days are not so good days. It doesn't really matter because the programming is going in, the new highway is being built, and uh, it is the better you. And the brain doesn't really know the difference between something that is true today and something that isn't. It's simply going to accept it if it's repeated often enough. Hmm. It's as though we were given at birth this incredible miracle, but we weren't given a handbook, so we're, we've been struggling to figure out, what do we do with this? How do I program it? Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. I know it makes so much sense. If I think I used the example in my book, if we were getting on an airplane, mm -hmm. and we were all flying to, let's make it the Caribbean. We're all flying to St. Thomas, and I'm taking everybody in your entire group on a 10-day paid holiday. Mm -hmm. And as we're all getting on the plane... We hear the navigator or the co-pilot talking to the, the captain. He says, Captain, we've got a problem. We've just discovered that 77% of all the airplanes onboard computer programs are the wrong program. 
Well, we would immediately get off the plane because the plane's going to crash or it's going to fly in the wrong direction. We would never get on a plane that's programmed to fly in the wrong direction. Right. And yet, behavioral researchers tell us that, on average, about 77% of all of the programs that we carry around with us are completely false or wrong or leading us in the wrong direction. Wow. So to me, this is very much like saying, okay, we get up every morning, we're ready to fly, let's just make sure we're set to fly in the right direction. And you can look around you and see that, yes, some people are doing that, and the others aren't. Most of them aren't. Brilliant. Great stuff. Shad, well, let's take a few more minutes, if we can, on the fifth level of self-talk, which is obviously the highest level, which is a universal affirmation. Yes. It's the kind of self-talk that I accept and I appreciate and I don't talk about very much. Mm. It's the kind of affirmation that most of us actually originally thought of when we thought of the word affirmation. It's more of a, a spiritual picture or a oneness with our being. And the reason I don't push it too much is because some people say things like, I am a multimillionaire and one with the divine universe. But they still get laid for work. I would rather teach them the self-talk than have them spending time with their family or doing the day-to-day things that get them there. Right. So level four is really, really the key one. Level three is good, but level four is really the key, and that's where you begin to repaint a picture of yourself. And if you just start with the words, I am, I am, and then fill in the blanks, with the picture of yourself you'd most like to be, that's a good way to start writing self-talk. Fabulous, fabulous stuff. And obviously, a lot more content in the book itself on on that. In our chats, Chad, I had talked about the dynamic of the industries that I work with, particularly in the service industries and people in real estate and lending and insurance. And one of the dynamics is you have a bunch of independent contractors, oftentimes in the office together and whatnot. And if 77% of the programs are wrong, it seems like the 77% of the programs that are wrong all show up at the same time in a real estate office around the coffee pot talking about the market. And so the second major point I wanted to talk today was about conforming to other people's (coughs) beliefs. I'm going to give an example here. And one of the things I do from time to time is I go through the office and I do a little series of pop-bys with the clients. When the coaches are on talking to a client, I'll kind of pop into someone's office and just tap them on the shoulder and pick up the headset and start talking to one of their clients. I do this regularly, and I just did one the other day, and this will be a great example to help a lot of people. But there was a young man I talked to, I'll keep his name private, but he was talking about the fact that he was new in the business, and his first year, he got in, he was doing it part-time, he just did great. He was off the charts, he was excited, he was enthused, and he did great. Selling real estate part-time, he sold $4 million worth of real estate, which is just tremendous. Well, one of the experienced people in the office came to him and said, well, you know, you're not supposed to be doing this well. People get into real estate initially, you struggle. So you may not have struggled this year, but your struggle year will probably come next year. And sure enough, this year he hadn't sold a house. And I'm having a conversation with him, and his his self-talk is so down and spiraling down and down all the time. And I'm trying to encourage him to go back to that place mentally where he was when he first got back in the business. But he had totally taken on someone else's belief. And I see this every day as I travel around the country, Shed, because we're in an industry particularly that's reflective of the market. The rates change, the prices go up, the prices go down, there's a shortage of inventory. There are certain market conditions, but people take that, and then it becomes fact. And the ones that are most broken seem to be most adamant about their wrong positions. 
It's like not only are they 77% of the programs wrong, but they're adamant about getting in the plane and flying it in the wrong direction. So how would you encourage folks listening to this call today and listening to the tape later on, how would you encourage them to be true to the programming they're trying to put into themselves and not to conform to other people's perhaps broken or false programming? The first thing to do is to make absolutely certain that you know what your own new programs are. Mm -hmm. Be very clear about self-talk or if you would prefer the directions that you're typing into your own computer. That's what you want for yourself. That's the first step. Step number two is begin to active listen in a way that many people haven't before, and that is listen to that person and question whether or not that person's opinion, because that's all it is, it's just their old programs talking, listen to whether or not those opinions comply with the directions that you're now giving your own brain, your own subconscious. Mm. If they're in disagreement mentally, even while you're talking to the person, take those words and turn them exactly around into the opposite. Hmm. So what you're doing is you're actually using that as an opportunity to give yourself a better program. Let's say someone says something as simple as, uh, there's not enough room here for all of us. The market isn't big enough right now. And you hear that, you immediately examine it, you realize the market is so much infinitely greater than most people can even imagine. Right. They just have to be a little more creative. And that's the new programs that you're giving yourself. So you immediately turn what this individual has just said. You turn that around and say, for me, the market is infinite. Mm. I'm a creative person. I really love my work. Mm. So that gave me the opportunity. To, I just felt better. In fact, I'm not even in your field, and I just felt better. <laughs> I wanted to go out and talk to people on the street, to drive up and down and, and look at fizzbows. I mean, I just, <laughs> my brain, as you can see a brain scan on me right now, it's just all flared up. And You're ready. For it. You're ready to go do yeah. some Popeyes. Yep. And I agree 100%. So what you're suggesting is that as this person, the criteria is actively listen to what this person's opinion is. How does it comply with the new programs you're consciously putting into yourself? And if they're in contradiction, then turn them around in your mind to make them the opposite. Yes. And to always keep in mind that almost everything everyone says, everything is an opinion. Yes. And that means it's based on a lot of programs, and many, many cases those programs are entirely false. And if you realize, even if you respect the person you're talking to, you still know that what this person is giving me is an opinion. And since it's an opinion, then it's no better than mine, and I think I'm building a better one. Here's an interesting dynamic in my real estate career, was when I first got into business, people would tell me how around the holiday season... The market's just dead. Nobody buys houses around Christmas. And I took that as a challenge. And so I created for myself, I didn't even know what I was doing at the time, I was doing it unconsciously. But I was creating for myself a little affirmation that this is going to be my best month. And what was interesting for, I'd say for five years in a row, the best months I ever had were during the Christmas season Mm -hmm. and the holiday season. And what was interesting was, because it was a program that so many people believed in, one of the amazing things was you couldn't find a realtor at that time of year. They weren't showing houses, and so people who were actually interested couldn't find somebody, and they were out looking for me. Yep. So it's remarkable how these things become these self-fulfilling prophecies. But um, like you say, you can take what your new programming is, 
actively listen to someone's opinion and turn it into a positive. That's brilliant. I think that's going to help a lot of folks. And, Brian, it's not just positive thinking, as in Pollyanna, where we believe in something that isn't true. What we're doing is we're taking what we've got and we're actually creating a new truth with it. We're being creative. We're finding the best of ourselves and building on that so we make it true. Mm -hmm. So it's not just, gee, I think the world is great. It's not always great. But what we do about that, we have actually complete control over it. People listening right now, today, if you thought of every choice you're making and say, I choose to have control over every single choice I make today, including this one, it's going to be a different day. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a better day. You have control over the choices you make. You know, I, I love what Zig Ziglar used to talk about when he would talk about the period of time in his life when he was overweight. And he said, I chose to be overweight because I never ate anything by accident. Yep, that's and, true. And most yeah. people wouldn't say that was a choice. Most people, oh, no, I'm just not thinking about it. But it's all a choice. And so what you're saying is we have much more influence over our daily life than most people would acknowledge. And we have the opportunity to create, within the realm of our own opportunity, the kind of life and world we're looking for. Yes. And if you took one group of 20 people, call that group A, and another group of 20 people, call that group B, and group A, you teach them how to use self-talk and how to practice it day after day after day after day. Group B doesn't get to, in fact, you don't let them use any special or new self-talk at all. And then have some sales contests, and at the end of six months or a year, tell me which one will do better. We Mm -hmm. all know. Yes. If there were two of us, if we were each one of us was cloned, and there's a Shad A and a Shad B, and Shad A gets to use self-talk and make choices for himself and create his future with that, and Shad B doesn't get to, I know which Shad I would want to be. I would want to be Shad A. Mm-hmm. And, and everyone, everyone that we're talking with and about right now has the opportunity to do it. And it does start with the choice that says, okay, I don't care if this sounds a little strange. I'm going to try it. This is what I'm doing. This is good for me. Right. Right. And because over- our old programs want to say, hey, come right. on. One of those theories, uh, forget it. But don't listen to the old program. And as you keep building the new highway, eventually, this is going to sound strange, disappears. It goes away. Yeah. Completely. You can't imagine it sounding strange to me. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not. And I've talked to our clients and at many events over the years, and I've said, you know, I personally can't tell you the reasons why all of this works, just like I can't quite describe how a fax machine works. But I know if I put the paper in, push the button, it gets there. Yes, right. And that's good enough for me. At some point in time, you have to have some level of acceptance and faith and say, well, this is working. My life is better because of it. I'm going to keep doing it. This highway is not only a good highway, it's taking me somewhere good. And this also probably takes us to point three, yes. and that is if you want to make sure that you're setting up the right choices and the right self-talk, you have to know where you're going. And that's why I put so much value on the setting of goals, because mm-hmm. in order to know what these little choices ought to be and the big choices, and to know where my self-talk ought to take me, my computer ought to be programmed to take me where, then I ought to have goals that are real goals and done right. Well, this would be neat because, Shad, to give you a little context here, as we've talked in the past, all of our clients have become proficient at setting goals and reaching goals and accomplishing goals. And you and I have very, very similar methodologies in regards to how we approach goals. But you have a couple of neat wrinkles on goal setting that I think will take what these folks have been doing and take it up to another level. And so maybe you could share a little bit about your methodology there, and we can talk a little bit about some goals online and some of those things that you've created. Over a period of years, 
I decided I would study goal setting as opposed to just take it for granted and read a few books of people's ideas on how to set goals. Because I was doing a lot of research that showed that a lot of goal setting methods weren't working. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to find out why. And probably did some of the first actual studies in this country on what constitutes a real effective goal setting process. And first I began to come to conclusions and we tested those. And it turned out that the simplest process worked the best. Mm. And it's a, a short process, but it involves how to write the goal in the first place, mm -hmm. specifically how to state it, because that actually has a lot of bearing on whether you will reach it. Next, how to date a goal and how to change the dates when necessary. And then the next step is to actually write out, and the word write is, is important. Mm -hmm. In fact, let me just interrupt myself for just a second. Here's an incredible statistic. Somewhere under 3%, it's like 2.7%. 8% of the people in this country write goals down along with any kind of plan. So the rest of the people, if they're setting goals, they're really just talking goals or dream goals or wishful thinking. Right. Here's the statistic. A goal that is not written down or typed out, somehow put on paper, a goal that is not written down, your chances of reaching the goal are somewhere between 6 and 8%, wow. depending on which study you follow. The moment you write the goal down along with the action plan to reach the goal, the moment you commit it to paper, your chances of reaching that goal go up into the neighborhood of 70 to 80 percent. Mm. And, of course, your people are already doing that because they're forward thinkers. They want to get there, and so yes. they would tend to do that. But if you follow certain steps, and I'll uninterrupt myself, such as writing down the obstacles so that you can figure out what action steps will take to overcome each obstacle, and then you date those. In a very, very simple step-by-step -step process, we've found that the people who follow it not only reach their goals better, but they reach more goals. They become in much greater control over who you are and what you're doing every single day. Now, utilizing self-talk and writing goals, you've talked about this dynamic that when somebody writes a goal, it's best to begin with the word to. I always use the word, and I recommend you use the word to, and then put a verb after it to get my driver's license renewed. Mm -hmm. That's a real simple one. Some people don't do it, though. Right. Get in trouble. Two, to spend at least two hours each week writing in my journal. Mm -hmm. to, to read three self-help books a month. All you have to do is write the word to down, and then you put a verb after that. Now, I know that it's a little different than the way a lot of goal-setting techniques have been presented, and that is to write goals as affirmations on. Right. But I've found over the years in doing a lot of work in what makes one goal setter more effective than another, I've just found that the more specific we get, because these are really targets, they're our destination, and the more specifically we can word the goal, the better it is. And also, it's really easy. If you have a goal in mind, you're not quite sure what it is and you want to clarify it, and you just write down a piece of paper, write the word to, T-O, and then write a verb after that. Your goal will automatically get written for you. Hmm. So we start out with two, then we write out the goal, we put a date on it, so with the date we're writing the goal, and then the Specific date... Specific date, day, month, and year. So I want to weigh 175 by June 1st, 2002. Okay, I would write two weigh 175 healthy pounds, <laughs> period. Then I would put in another space right next to it, date of accomplishment, and I would put the date. Okay. 
And then you talk about the obstacles, writing out the obstacles. Now, why does that benefit so much? Well, a lot of people have said that that's kind of you shouldn't just look at the negative parts, but the fact is you've got to figure out what hurdles you have to get over. If you have an obstacle, for instance, to weigh 175 healthy pounds, you might write as an obstacle, I've never been able to lose the weight and keep it off, and I'm not sure about myself. Another one might be, I like to eat. Another one might be, this makes me feel better. Right. So I could take each one of those. And the first one was, you know, if I've just written down that I don't feel I can do this, doesn't that sound like maybe I need some self-talk about my own self-esteem? Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to start listening to self-talk tapes for self-esteem, or I'm going to write out self-talk that builds my self-esteem. And I will do that, and I'll read it or I'll listen to the tape every morning just before I go to sleep. That's a very specific action step. And by the way, that action step alone will probably be what actually fixes the goal. And it's the obstacle that creates the action step. Mm-hmm. The action step becomes a minor goal. It could be a daily thing. It could be something that you're going to do this week. And then you date that. So by following those steps, you know everything that's in the way. You figure out what you're going to do about it because you have to to write an action step. And if you find out that there are no action steps for the obstacle, then it's either not really an obstacle or you're not being creative enough because I've never found a single obstacle that can't be overcome. So the obstacles create the action steps, and that's when it becomes how-to. And that's what I love about your stuff, yep. Shad, is that there's a lot of, and I've, you know, I'm a voracious reader, and I've read a lot of these things over the years, and a lot of them leave you in the air where, okay, you can have a positive attitude and whatnot, but there's no meat behind it in regards to what do I do. And so that's what I love about your work. It's always actually driven to get people to a result, which is what is a big passion of mine. And yeah, so, I never wanted to be a motivator. Right. And just make people feel good for an evening, for instance, exactly. or a day. I felt that the only reason that I'm going to do what I'm doing and devoting this much of my life to doing what I do, which is helping people get better, and the only reason I'm going to do that is if I can find ways that actually work. If they don't work, I don't want to have anything to do with it. We're busy. We've got this incredible world in front of us. We've got this life in front of us. We've got this week and this day in front of us. Let's do something right now that's effective right now. And then you feel good. Then you get motivated anyway. Then the rest of it comes. All the results and all the rewards come. But let's do something now. Mm-hmm. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. Well, you and I could spend all day on the phone here, Shad, going back and forwards, singing out of the same hymnal. And uh, it's such a joy to meet somebody like yourself who's so passionate about helping people grow. I have acquired much of Shad's material over the years, and it's helped me enormously, and I continue to do so. I have about five pages of notes from today's call. So this has been a total blessing for me as well, Shad, and I, I just really appreciate you taking your time to come and share yourself with our clients and our staff today. I hope it's been an enjoyable experience for you. Well, I tell you, the rest of my day is going to be incredible. <laughs> this, so far, it's been awesome. And now I'm, I hope that each of the um, fine individuals listening today is able to do something with some of the ideas we shared. Mm-hmm. But I will say this, it's, it's really worth it. We're born with incredible potential, and now it's up to us. And no matter where a person has been, you still have all the potential you were born with. There were just some old programs that got in the way, and maybe it's time to get rid of them. Awesome. Thank you so much, Shad. What a blessing. So I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope it's been a benefit for you. Thanks again, Shad. Really appreciate all you do. And uh, until we talk next time, God bless, and have a great day. Wow. Well, I hope you enjoyed it. You know, listening to that, it reminds me of, A, 
things I learned that I've really applied and doing well, and also things I've kind of slipped out of and I need to get back on the wagon with, if you will. So thank you, uh, Shad. That was some great stuff. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Want to hear your reviews. In fact, I want to give a few shout-outs. So we've gotten uh, just hundreds of reviews here in the last few months, and so I wanted to give a shout-out to a couple. Clint from Virginia says, I always look forward to listening to the next podcast as soon as they come out. Very inspiring. Brian, you have a great way of teaching others, and it's very motivational. I love the podcast. Thank you, Clint. Marnie Smith goes, love, love, love these podcasts. Just finished listening to the wisdom and humor of Andy Andrews and uh, brought to us by the amazing interview and skills of Brian Buffini. Thank you, Marnie. I didn't know that I had it in me. So let's see. K.W. Cardone says, uh, great show, Brian. You always deliver great motivational content. So appreciate all those reviews. I love hearing your feedback. Also, don't forget, we're also on Android, so you can download your favorite podcast app from Google Play and tune in for free. Our goal is to positively influence as many folks as we can. So who knows? Do you know somebody who might need some improvement in the area of self-talk? Do you know somebody who might benefit from what Dr. Shad Helmstetter had to say here today? Why don't you share this podcast with them? And you'll be a blessing to them. So as I finish here today, I'm going to leave you with a little Irish blessing that I didn't understand until today. My grandfather was actually helping me reprogram my subconscious mind and put some positive self-talk into me when he would say, may the roads rise up to meet you and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sunshine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. We'll see you next time.